And so today, for this week and next week, I'm going to start a mini-series on the family this week and next week. When I lived in Ontario, this was called Family Day Weekend. Now, I understand now that I'm back home in Nova Scotia, we don't call this Family Day Weekend anymore. It's actually called uh, it's Heritage Day tomorrow. And so what we are honoring are, are people who have gone on before us and made significant contributions to, to life and, and such in the province. When I was in Ontario, we called it Family Day. And we, we called it Family Day because it was a day off with your families. It was a long, a long weekend that you got to have. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, a mini-series this week and next week about the family now, I know whenever a pastor starts to preach about very specific things like family and marriage and kids, some people start to feel like they're left out. Because the reality is that everyone here this morning isn't married. Not everyone here this morning has kids. And family can look very different depending on your circumstances. And that's okay. I understand that. So even if you're not someone's wife this morning, or even if you're not someone's husband, or even if you don't have children, I can guarantee that you are all someone's child, right? And so as a church, we are a family also, and and we have an effect on each other, maybe even a greater effect than we realize sometimes, because we are family. And so I want to assure you that this week and next week, I'm not speaking just to people who have children and people who are married. I'm speaking to a collective experience that we all have together, because I think every one of us in this room, we all want to belong to a group of people, right? We all want to have people that we know and people that know us so that when we walk into a room, we are not the unknown person that stands to the side. We want to be known. And no matter if we are a more reserved personality that wants to be known from a distance, or if we are the more outgoing personalities that want to be known as part of a hug, that's okay. But I think we can all agree this morning that relationships and family, whether it's blood family or the people we choose to be close to us, they are important to us. And so let's pray this morning before we look into the book of Proverbs and dig into this topic this morning. Lord God, we thank you for today, and I thank you for your word, Lord God, and I thank you for our church family, Lord. I thank you for every single person who is gathered here this morning, and I thank you for those who are part of our church family and who are not gathered with us here this morning. Lord, and I just pray that every one of us this morning would experience your love, Lord God. And I just pray that we would experience the love and the compassion and the kindness of one another as well, as we all have a part to play in the family that we have assembled here, that you have drawn together, Lord, at Evangel Assembly. And so I thank you for this, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would use your word to encourage us this morning. In the name of Christ, we pray together. Amen. Amen. So the book of Proverbs, I've been reading through that quite a bit lately. In fact, here's a little Bible study devotional tip. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs, right? And so if you pick a month where there's 31 days, 
and you read a chapter of Proverbs a day, you'll have read the entire book within a month. And there's all kinds of interesting, wise things that the writer of Proverbs speaks about. One of the areas that the writer of Proverbs tends to talk about a lot is on finding a good wife. Now, even though not all of you in this room might be looking for a wife or don't have a wife, that's okay, because we can learn from this. For example, men, did you know that in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that it is better to live on the corner of a roof. Do you know how this goes? It is better to live on the corner of your roof. Just imagine that for a minute. On the corner of your roof. In the gale force winds that we have here in southwestern Nova Scotia. Some of you have read Proverbs and you know what comes next. (laughs) In the snowstorms that we have here in southwest Nova Scotia. I lost shingles off the roof of my house. My house is the only house in my cul-de-sac with this green tint to the shingles. And so I definitely know when there's shingles on the ground, whether they're mine or not. And it bothers me every time I find more because I know how much roofs cost to fix. Nevertheless, the proverb says it is better to live on the corner of a roof than it is to share your house with a quarrelsome wife. It's the word of God. I'm just preaching the word of God. If you know what the funny thing is, you can look that up in Proverbs 25, 24. It, that, that, that wisdom statement is there. But you can also look into Proverbs 21, verse 9, and you know what you find? The exact same thing. And so the Word of God has said this twice. Now, folks, I don't particularly enjoy heights, and I have an eight-foot stepladder, and I only go three-quarters of the way up on that, and that's about good enough for me. That reaches what I need to reach. And so with everything and the, the, the wind and the rain, I guess my only alternative is to live as peacefully as I can in my house with my wife, right? And that is biblical and scriptural too, right? I asked her if she was going to be here this morning. It's a shame it's not the, the week she's downstairs. Because, you know, some weeks... Some days, that's a really hard thing to do, eh? I'm I'm not talking about just about Mandy. I'm, I'm talking about life in general. Some weeks, some days, even your best friend in the entire world, and Mandy certainly is my best friend in the entire world, but sometimes they make you see a different shade of red, right? Sometimes they can make you want to go get that ladder out and climb up to the corner of the roof and find out if it really is better up there. This is why I asked if she was going to be in Sunday school. But I insist, I'm just preaching the word of the Lord. The book of Proverbs says this too, Proverbs 18, 22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing, and he obtains favor from the Lord. And this is true also. I was visiting a congregation member a few weeks ago, Don Smith, who has been part of our congregation as long as I've been here, Cheryl's dad. And he will be normally sitting right over there with you, Cheryl, and, and your mom too, just, just a short time ago. And he's at Roseway Hospital right now, and he's awaiting placement in Roseway Nursing Home. There's some, there's some things going on with his mind that are making it incapable for him to live on his own now. And, and he understands that. 
and he, he's sad about that. But I walked into his room at Roseway Hospital a couple of weeks ago, and he was laying in his bed, and propped up right about where his knee was, was an 8 by 10 picture of Marion, his wife, who passed away a year and a half ago. And he was just sitting there, and he was just staring at that picture, alone with his thoughts and with his memories. And so I came in and I sat down and we chatted. And he started to tell me about the early years. We were just teenagers, he said. He pulled out some other pictures that he had. We were just teenagers when we met and when we started dating and when we got married. And then I'm sure maybe you've heard Don say this before, but he said to me, I was so lucky, Pastor, that I got her to marry an old fool like me for so many years. And then he said this, and I thought this was... This was so profound and impactful. He said, Pastor, some people have no idea what they are missing when it is right in front of them. As he was sitting there looking at a picture of his wife who's gone on to be with the Lord a year and a half ago. And he said, some people have no idea what they're missing when it's right in front of them. And so we can get consumed with external things. We can make petty disagreements, big disagreements, when they don't have to be. We can make small things, big things, when they don't really have to be. And we can pull out that ladder and climb up and live life on the corner of the rooftop, which I can insist would probably make you a pretty grouchy person. But you can live life on the corner of that rooftop and forget about the blessings of family and forget about pursuing those things, we, we do that sometimes. But yet this perspective from Don Smith about forgetting the things that are right in front of us. You know, there's, there's another part of Proverbs 2 that talks about family and this sort of thing. Proverbs 31. Are you familiar with Proverbs 31, folks? Have you read Proverbs 31 before? Because sometimes I think we can wrongly take Proverbs 31 and use it as a checklist of everything a wife should be for a husband. For example, verse 13, she works with her hands. Well, that's not so bad. Verse 14, she brings in food from afar. And so apparently the Proverbs 31 wife does not shop local. She gets up, verse 15 says, when it is still dark, which is an easier thing to do in the winter, a harder thing to do in the summer. Verse 16, she purchases land and runs a vineyard. Not only does she work with her hands and travel to get food and gets up while it is still dark, she owns property and she runs a business out of it too. Verse 20, she opens her arms to the poor. So not just to her family, but even the needy she reaches out to. Verse 22, she makes quilts. So all of you quilters out there, you are fulfilling Proverbs 31. She makes quilts for her beds that her whole family is warm. And then verse 24, the, the bar is raised. You have to make extra quilts and sell them. It's a little side hustle you got as a Proverbs 31 wife. It says, verse 24. Verse 26, she's wise. And verse 27, her children call her blessed and her husband praises her. Folks, that's quite the job description. And I am quite certain that there is not a woman in the world that could fill all of these things all of the time. And you know, what, you know what else I know? I know that I am pretty thankful that the writer of Proverbs stopped at Proverbs 31 and did not write Proverbs 32, the marks of a noble husband, because I'm afraid for what that chapter might have included. 
So ladies, thanks for taking one for the team here. In fact, as you read through the book of Proverbs, it's actually pretty silent about husbands altogether. We have to go to the New Testament to talk about husbands. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesians says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. And we all know what Christ did. Christ died for the church. And so I wanted to say a little bit about that because I think this portion of Ephesians gets far too little airplay because we get caught up in, in what happens a couple verses earlier in that, that, that word submit. We get caught up in that and we never really get to focus on Ephesians 5.25. But loving your wife like Christ loves the church Husbands means giving up our own rights and our own wants and our own desires, even our own lives if necessary, as an expression of that love. You can read a little bit more of what that kind of love is like in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the same Greek word for love, agape there. There's a couple different words for love in the New Testament, but this love that the husband has for his wife and this love in 1 Corinthians 13, they're the same Greek concept there. And so you can read about that. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 7 that your body does not belong to you alone, but also to your wife. And so when we look at both of these things, I think the bar is set pretty high when it comes to relationships between men and women, husbands and wives. The bar is set pretty high. Men are given the high calling to love and to serve until death, even if it kills them. And women are given an impossible task to do in Proverbs 31, which, if you actually did all that, you would probably work yourself to death. And so there it is. We live and we die. And it's all starting to sound a bit like Ecclesiastes, isn't it? I hope you're encouraged. And on top of all of this, there are children. Proverbs 1, sorry, Psalm. Proverbs doesn't say a whole lot. Psalm 127, 3 to 5. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gate. Now I've heard it said this way before. The season of raising young children, it's the best of times, and it's the worst of times. And I think I have to agree. Because there's times, I am sure, that when my kids are older and grown and out on their own, I am certain I will look back and I will wish for the days when they were younger, when they were all at home, when I knew where they were, when they couldn't go anywhere without me because they needed me for that. And I will wish for those days back. And then there's other days. Children are absolutely amazing. And I hear people tell me that grandchildren are even better than your own children. Is this true? 
Because, I mean, I'm not in a rush to, to get to the grandchild stage. My oldest is only 11 going on 12. And I do really enjoy the fact that aside from going to the neighbors to play, they can't go anywhere without me. So I always know where they are. And they are always in bed and most of the time asleep before I'm asleep at night. I really like that season that I'm in right now. And I know that doesn't last forever. And if you promise to keep a secret, Mandy's not here anymore. This is good. If you promise to keep a secret, every year that our little Grayson, our youngest, gets older, I do miss having little toddlers around the house that want to jump up on your lap and snuggle and read a book and watch a show. Because I can tell you when you get to be 11 and a half, Ben's not jumping up on my lap anymore. And when he does run across the floor and jump on my lap, it's because he wants to tackle me. And, and he's strong, guys. I think he's going to be bigger and stronger than me before he's done growing. He's only 11 and a half now. Nevertheless, at my advanced age, we're not having any more children. And my wife just had a birthday, which I can't disclose the, the number to. And so let's just, let's just su- suffice it to say we will not be having any more children. And so we're going to have to snuggle with Grayson as long as he will let us. And then when he says no, well, then it's all over. It's all done. But kids, folks, the Word of God says, says they are a blessing. Kids are our hope that the next generation will carry on in the faith that we have Kids are our hope that the next generation will get things more right than we got them in our generation. Kids are the things that that we invest the best of our qualities into, and hopefully they don't see the worst. And they move on, and they grow into better, more mature, more functional, more faithful people than even we have been able to be in our lives. And so relationships, whether it's together in the body of Christ, whether it's in marriage, whether it's with children, whether it's with your own parents, they are beautiful, if not also difficult at times. But relationships and being together is beautiful. Friends are a blessing from the Lord. Family is awesome. And kids are the hope of the next generation. And when all of these things function in their best possible way, folks, we have a glimpse of heaven here on earth. This is a glimpse of what heaven will be like. But here's the turning point and the reality, folks, this morning. The beautiful pictures that I've painted, that we've drawn out of the Word of God, they are not everyone's experience of family all the time. This is not everyone's experience of marriage all the time. This isn't everyone's experience of parenting or everyone's experience of being raised all the time. Because in our world, things break down Things go wrong, and families in our society break down for a variety of reasons. When you look up in Canada, with Stats Canada, to find out the top reasons why the family unit breaks down in our culture today, the top thing is incompatibility and and a sense of I can't do it anymore. 
Second is infidelities. And third is financial issues. And as a result, we know that in our nation today, the current stats tell us that 38% of marriages do not make it until their intended departure, which is death. That's just slightly higher than a third. And so that means this, folks, this morning. That means that if you are here yourself this morning and you have not walked through the difficulty of a marriage breakdown, look to your left or look to your right, and one of the people on that side probably has, because that is the nature of where we live in our country. That also means this, that if we gain a dozen new people here at Evangel Assembly next Sunday, if they walk through the door and they're feeling the draw of the Spirit and seeking answers to their questions, the likelihood is that several of those individuals will too have walked through the difficult path of a marriage breakdown and a divorce. And they will be asking how God views them and how they can move forward with God given everything that they have walked through. And so how do we minister the hope of Christ to individuals when things go wrong? How can we minister the grace and the truth together to a family, a marriage, when something that has the potential to be so beautiful, something that has the potential to be such a blessing from God because of the brokenness of humanity turns Sour. How do we manage the tension between grace and truth in these situations? I think the first way we do that, folks, is it must be this. We must be, as a church, stating that in marriage we pledge and we intend when we are at that point to have a lifelong commitment. And so as a church we pursue and we encourage and we pray for reconciliation and restoration at all costs against any odds. I mean, you and I know that the Lord can restore things that are broken much better than you and I could ever restore things on our own. And so we always encourage restoration when marriages are in trouble. But here's the thing, folks. In so many cases, we are not part of a people's story at that point in time. We don't walk through that season with them. In so many ways, we get the pieces after they are broken down, and we have to sort out how to move forward together in a God-honoring way after the fact. And so grace says this. Grace in the Word of God, not Grace Fenton. Just so we were clear. Grace in the Word of God says this. That there has to be a pathway back after divorce, after remarriage, after adultery, after anything that breaks down the family unit. Romans 8, 38 and 39, Paul says this, I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us from the love that is found in Christ Jesus. And so grace says there has to be a pathway back. Grace also tells us this. 
Grace also tells us that not everyone's experience of divorce is the same. That sometimes divorce happens to people despite their desire for reconciliation and despite their best efforts for restoration. 1 Corinthians 7.15, the Apostle Paul acknowledges this. He encourages the people saying this, If an unbeliever leaves, let it be so. If a person walks away against all efforts of restoration, there's not much we can do in that case. The Apostle Paul says the brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And so while grace tells us that there has to be a pathway back, and grace tells us that everyone's experience of divorce is not equal, the word of God, the truth tells us this, that you and I, we are all broken people. And not everyone in the room this morning who has walked through divorce was abandoned. And not everyone in this room who is divorced perhaps pursued reconciliation hard enough. Scripture tells us that some of us this morning by the act of divorce have committed adultery. And if that's you this morning, you don't owe me an explanation. And you don't owe an explanation to your local church because we are not your judge. But acknowledging before the Lord in your heart that I wish things had been different and that I never want to walk through that again, that is the first step of repentance. And once we repent, grace kicks in. And grace says that with repentance, we can be fully restored. Not halfway restored. Not 75% of the way. Not 99% of the way. Because folks, I never read in scripture about a partial forgiveness. There is forgiveness for repentance or there is non-forgiveness for non-repentance. But I never read about a halfway or a three-quarter way or a 99% way. So there must be a pathway back to God and back to fellowship in the local church after divorce and remarriage. But each situation is different And each divorce happens for different reasons. And so the pathway back will have a different shape depending on the situation. And so how do we live that out as a denomination, as the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada? How do we live that out as a church here at Evangel Assembly? I have the unique perspective of having grown up in Yarmouth. And I have the unique perspective of having interacted with Evangel Assembly off and on when I was living in Yarmouth from the early 2000s. Not all lead pastors have that perspective, but I am blessed to have had that perspective. And I have read all of our annual meeting minutes in the years as far back as I can go, all the way back to the 1950s. That's how I've learned that Grace Smith has been the Sunday school superintendent that long. It's a shame she's not here today. She's not feeling well. If you could lift her up in prayer, that would be great. 
But I've had the privilege of looking at all of our documents, and I've had the privilege of hearing stories from people over the years. And and all of this experience, folks, I have to say this, and it might not be easy, but I just want to say it, and you can agree or disagree, but I want to say that we have not done a great job ministering grace and truth in good measure when it comes to marriage and divorce as a church. I think there are times when we have lacked grace and there's times when the truth that we have preached is not the full truth that we find in the word of God. And because of that, we've developed a little bit of a reputation in our community for being judgmental. And even though that is part of our history and it's not a great, proud part, it doesn't have to define our future moving forward. Because, and we're going to look next week more in depth in the New Testament at what scriptures teach on marriage and divorce. But I want to leave you with this this morning. One of the ways that we can signal that it is a new day of grace and truth at Evangel Assembly is by reviewing our church bylaw that specifically excludes divorced and remarried persons from serving in elected positions of leadership within our assembly, particularly on the board. Now, we inherited that policy. We didn't come up with that policy, to be fair. There was a day when the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada had that policy within their general constitutions, and that was the general practice of all Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada churches. But that has not been the case for many, many decades. And the change is not because the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada has gone soft on truth and has departed from the Word of God, because if that were the case, then we ought to consider our affiliation with an an assembly like that. But the change has come about because of this. Because there's a better way to extend grace and truth into situations like this. And policies that we have inherited from the PAOC do not allow us to extend grace where grace ought to be extended and to speak truth where truth ought to be spoken. Policies like we have adopted and inherited handcuff us to one answer, and that answer is no. And while that policy is just about elected positions, folks, what it does is it makes a statement about divorce and remarriage. That there is never a pathway back to full reconciliation with God and full inclusion within the local assembly once that happens. And folks, we're going to dig into it next week, but I want to tell you that that statement is simply not biblical. And so we're going to look at Matthew 5 and 19 next week and 1 Corinthians 7. I'd encourage you to read those portions of Scripture as well before we come together next week. And, and one final thing I want to leave you with today as well. Our Board of Deacons have discussed this matter. Two years ago, we discussed it when I first arrived, and we discussed it again last month. And the Board has consensus that there, there should be a pathway forward for how we communicate grace and truth with respect to divorce and remarriage at Evangel, different than what we have done for the last number of decades and years. 
And the board has offered a resolution that will be brought at our annual business meeting on Sunday, March 1st in two weeks. And I want to tell you about that now so that you can have a copy of that resolution and so that you can look into it, you can pray into it, you can discuss it, you can ask your questions and not have to make a, a snap decision and, and talk about things in, in, the, in the moments of 20 to 30 minutes in an annual business meeting. It's important to know this, folks. That when it comes to any policy change that is written in our local church bylaws, the board and your lead pastor, we can't do these things alone. We can't make these things happen. They need to be made happen by a vote of the congregation. And so that is why we need your voice to be exercised here as well. And so as you leave in a few moments, Sharon is going to have a copy of the resolution at the information booth. And I would encourage you to pick it up and to read it over and to take it home. But let me share with you briefly what it says right now. It says this, Whereas the bylaws of Evangel Assembly state that those who have been divorced and remarried with a former partner still living, or who are married to someone whose former partner is still living, may not hold elected positions of leadership within the church. And whereas Scripture teaches that marriage is a lifelong commitment and divorce is never a desirable outcome, Malachi 2.16, there are situations where divorce happens despite all efforts of reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 7, Matthew 19. And whereas the grace and love of God is sufficient to forgive all sin, past and present, making us new creations in Christ, Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 5. And whereas the biblical qualifications of the office of deacon and elder refer to an individual's present state of marital faithfulness and not a reflection on their past, 1 Timothy, be it resolved that we, the membership, affirm that divorce is never a desired resolution to marital conflict. Reconciliation, restoration, and forgiveness are always the best outcomes. Be it further resolved that we, the membership, affirm that individuals who have been divorced and remarried prior to Christian conversion and individuals who have been divorced and remarried after their Christian conversion due to adultery or abandonment by their spouse will no longer be excluded from consideration for elected positions. And be it further resolved that we, the membership of Evangel Assembly, affirm that our church board will exercise wisdom, grace, and discernment from the Holy Spirit concerning the eligibility of individuals who have been divorced and or remarried for elected positions of leadership. And so I want us as a church over these next couple of weeks to take time to consider what the Spirit is speaking to us and to consider how we can march forward in grace and truth in good measure of each in accordance with the word of God. And I would encourage you to ask the questions that you have. Our board has reviewed this. You can talk with them. You can come talk with Pastor Aaron. You can come talk with me. You can speak amongst yourselves on this topic. And we have an opportunity in a couple of weeks to get together and have an official conversation as membership and to make a determination on a path forward with respect to this. So let's pray together this morning. And then as we leave, I'd invite you, you can pick up a copy of that at the information booth this morning. But Lord God, we thank you for today. We thank you for what your word says, Lord God. We thank you for the grace that you extend, Lord God, 
I thank you, Lord God, for the grace that you have extended in my life. And for, Lord God, the path and where I might have been except for your grace. And I thank you for that, Lord God. And I thank you for everyone who is gathered in here this morning, Lord God. For the way that your grace and your mercy and your love has reached down to them where they were and lifted them up and brought them closer to you. And so I just pray, Lord God, that as we hold firmly to your truth and to your word, but as we also minister grace and hold those in tension, that everyone will come to a complete and a full loving knowledge of your grace and your restoration together. We thank you for this. And in the name of Christ, we pray together. Amen.